Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tussaud. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda, shine theory, millennial pinkwashing, and intellectual property in the internet age, plus a discussion of women-only spaces for profit and for community. Hello, Anne Friedman. Hey, boo, hey. How are you feeling? How you? How's it going? <laughs> you know, still have cancer. Doing good. <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm eating this delicious banana bread that my friend Alexis left at my uh, doorstep yesterday. And honestly, like, wow, a good banana bread can really change your life. The uh, quick bread on the doorstep is a real calling card that I would like to bring into my own life. <laughs> oh, my God. Alexis Co., like, historian, uh, amazing baker, everything. The best. Boom, boom, boom. How's your day going over there? Just great. I have nothing to complain about. <laughs> you know, there is something about like your BFF having cancer where you're just like, legit, nothing's a problem ever for me. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, that's not fair. It's not um, fair and it's not, it's, it's not relative. true. It's, uh, it's no, all but relative. It's, I'm just serious though. I'm just like, I don't know, you know, I'm like. You're like, my house is on fire, but at least I don't have cancer. Thank God. Okay, listen, if my house were on fire, I would be wailing about that to you. Don't worry. There is a line. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I'm at your spiritual house. My spiritual <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? We had some drama this week. <laughs> you know, we didn't have drama. Somebody else had drama with us this week. That's wow. what happened. Like, wow. I feel great. <laughs> I was just minding my own business on Al Gore's internet, perusing Instagram as I'm wont to do. And somebody alerted me to the fact, thank you to our vigilant listeners, alerted us to the fact that Something called Create and Cultivate, which is like a beautiful woman slogan, Instagram slogan machine. Well, I will read you from the about page. Create and Cultivate is a movement for women looking to create and cultivate the career of their dreams. Wow. Okay. It's a movement. Okay. Okay. I'm just that's reading good. you from the website. Okay. Uh, not fact checking that. <laughs> so this, So this movement, this Instagram women's movement was like doing some sort of campaign on their own. They had partnered with Mary Kay, which is a cosmetics brand. If you don't know, personally, I think it's a pyramid scheme, but I'm going to set that aside today. It was a series of sponsored blog posts with Mary Kay money. Exactly. About Shine Theory. Um, if you're new to this podcast, Shine Theory are belong to us. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Exactly. I mean, like... we, well, it's true in the sense that we own the trademark. You wrote the article about it. It's like, it's kind of a thing that we're known for. Anne and I's like operating friendship principle is what we call shine theory. It's I don't shine if you don't shine. Um, the you know the core kind of belief behind shine theory is investing in a core group of people the same way that you invest in yourself. There is no room for pettiness or jealousy or we're all part of the same team and we are all trying to kind of accomplish the same things. And it's so much more fun if you do it with people that you love. Um, their successes are your successes. 
you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a big deal. But in the scheme of things of like uh, giving women credit for their work, we'll claim it. Well, and also in the scheme of things where I think this is something that you and I have opted thus far not to monetize in this particular way. I'm not opposed to people making money on their ideas, don't get me wrong, but like the idea that this is something that, a term that we coined that did not exist in the public lexicon before we came up with it and wrote about it, until now, we have not used it to like maybe, I don't know, like do a partnership with a with a beauty product brand or a fitness brand that might be like really excited about the idea. Like the weird thing about Shine Theory is like, I see it as a very collaborative, anti-capitalist, not a kind of corporate feminist, how do you lone person get ahead, but like how can we take a work together approach to people having better lives and meeting their goals, not just like their salary goals. Like to me, all of that should be challenging to a capitalist status quo that says scarcity, 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 work harder for it, right? But, and also if you only deal with the surface level of like shine theory, women love other women, it makes like the perfect corporate tie-in fodder. It's like a very weird like thing going on with what shine theory is. So I feel like that's worth noting as well. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Absolutely. So yeah, let's break down the reasons that this rubbed, like casually rubbed us the wrong way. I think that there's just something like a baseline, like if we are on the internet as creative people, I don't care what the medium is, is that there's something really offensive about using somebody else's work, even if you think that just like internet shorthand is not a big deal, and claiming it as your own. I'm like, there's something like very exploitative about that. We all learned about plagiarism in school. And then there's something particularly egregious about making money off of some of off of something that you didn't come up with yourself. I just don't understand in what world that's okay. And then when you like tie it all in with the bow of like women helping women, it like becomes even more insidious. It's like, are you kidding me? The whole point of women helping women is because people take advantage of women all the time. So don't be a woman that takes advantage of women. Yeah. And then there's also, and I think you're right that there is something going on about like the culture of the internet and like kind of Instagram sloganeering, which says that it's totally fine. Like if anything is on Instagram, it's in the public domain. Like I think of this woman, Katie Zhu, who did a kind of a quick hand-drawn cartoon that I'm sure you've seen like lately as we're all um, thinking about gun control more. And it says, thoughts and prayers with a line through it. And it says policy and change underneath, which is a thing that yes. she posted after one of many shootings. Wendy McNaughton, who's also been on the podcast, is a different illustrator who has created a similar kind of hand-drawn graphic. And I see both of those all the time. Like celebrities love to post them after a shooting without investigating who did it. And I think that like it can be, if you are not willing to put in a little bit of time, it can seem impossible to figure out who originated something. But I also think that the bar is a little different for some celebrity who's trying to express something. I mean, like, yes, obviously be better, but it's like very different when you are taking a concept and selling a full sponsored campaign behind it or attempting to monetize it in a really direct way. So there's like a lot of different ways to violate, you know, the basic respect of credit where credit is due in the internet era. Right. If you couldn't have come up with it yourself, you should probably investigate who else came up with it. But, you know, like, let's just focus on the monetized campaign here. I feel like if you're somebody who works on campaigns or you 
you're working on an online branding opportunity with somebody else, you would probably just do a really quick Google for something and then find out if it exists. I know that I do this all the time, especially if I'm selling a client work. I'm just like, oh, where does this come from? What other contexts has it been used in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of that to say that like that was violated and we made a stink about it. Yeah, I was enraged. <laughs> I feel like make a stink is like a low, I'm like my, my blood pressure was high. <laughs> I was like medium enraged, but mostly I was like, oh, I love this. The, honestly, the real reason that I love when people do this with Shine Theory is I'm like, it completely like belies that you don't understand what Shine Theory is. Like if you understood it, you wouldn't do it, you know? Yeah. So like in a sick way, it always makes me lol. Like, can we pause? Because our listeners also made a stink, which was amazing. I don't need anybody to fight my battles on the internet. And when people do, I'm always like, whoa, like I'm impressed. People show up. Yeah, you all were so enraged on our behalf. It was, I mean, like I said, I was feeling rage and feeling supported by all of you rage commenting as well. I was like, you know, I don't want to endorse like an internet frenzy in like any context, but like, I it, know. but it did, I won't lie, it did feel good to feel supported by all of you. Yeah. And here's the reason that it felt good, too, because, like you know, like you and I are not shy. We like said something <laughs> immediately. We like started working the phones. You better believe that if I'm angry on the Internet, I'm angry at somebody on the phone, too. So like that's what's happening. The thing that I was the most surprised by was getting so much feedback from people that were like, this has happened to me before, whether with Create and Cultivate or with somebody else. And just this like reinforcement of like, oh yeah, I'm a creative on the internet and somebody has done this to me before and it's really enraging and thank you for saying something. And I'm like, wow, maybe we should all say something when this happens because it is egregious and it happens all the time. Create and cultivate after some prodding, you know, they worked to make it right. I'm always happy to not be on that side of an internet crisis. So I was like, I don't know what was going on over there. Right, but they did apologize and credit us and uh, made a donation to the charity of our choice. <laughs> like, I do want to say they did, like, all the right things Yeah. after the fact. Yeah. After the fact, totally did. And I'm actually really happy with how we resolved it. You know, it's like it was addressed in the medium that the, um, that the offense happened in. Like, good for them. It was like a full-throat, like, unequivocal apology. And I'm always down for that. I think that owning up to a mistake is great. I fall short a lot of times. And that was like a, that was a really good reminder and a model for me of how to act. And then also they donated all of their fee to uh, charities that we asked them to. So... You know, I think that like on the internet, like one day can seem like an entire year has gone by. <laughs> but really, it was resolved like very fast. They were uh, really great about it. And I was like, no more drama. Beef squashed. Yeah. I mean, and it, it definitely got me thinking about we had um, the designer uh, and illustrator Tuesday Bassin on the podcast um, a couple years ago to talk about Zara and other big clothing like corporations stealing her designs in really egregious outright ways. Like there's no, it was not defensible at all, much like with Shine Theory. Like if you did like a quick Google or if you lined up like the terms and the timeline, it's like, wow, they are just openly stealing smaller sort of businesses and artists work. You know, those stories don't always have a happy ending. Like one of the good things in this case is like, because it was not a giant corporation with tons of legal power, you know, denying what was even going on, like we could resolve it in a way that felt good and felt just. Probably you're getting these as well, but like I've heard from so many people who just get nowhere when their work is stolen in 
open ways like this and then monetized by someone else. So no such reprieve for the people selling like weird knockoff shine theory swag on Redbubble. I'm still looking at you and like writing you nasty emails not to send them more traffic. But like, you know, there are other people still monetizing this idea in ways that like do not align with our politics. It's not like all is well in the land of intellectual property. But yeah, I am I am happy about the outcome of, of this story. And in general, like the opportunity to talk about like how the complexities of this issue and who owns intellectual property, you know? Yeah, you're right. It's like the reason this was resolved is that, you know, nobody's a multinational mogul here, even though, trust me, I could take down Mary Kay by myself (laughs) if I needed to. Even though I have really enjoyed some Mary Kay products, I will say that for as much as I rag on them. One of the reasons that this got resolved too is because the minute that you say that you're about empowering women, it's like, okay, choose your fighter, enter the arena. What are we doing? <laughs> you know, like, what are we doing now? There is always going to be this tension between like people who say that they're feminists and people who say that they're like selling women's empowerment, the two different things. But one thing that we do agree on is that like we're all both for women and there is a tension there too about like getting paid, right? Because there is like the canards that like if you do like feminist organizing or feminist work, you shouldn't get paid. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, like I'm like, I love money. Um, so like that's my cross to bear. <laughs> that's my issue I have to work on. I love feminism, but also I love money. So let's talk about it. At the end of the day, like that tension is what allowed us to have this conversation for real with the Create and Cultivate team and also like address these larger topics. It's like basically like capitalism fucks all of us over. We've definitely talked about it in terms of the fashion world and certain brands and like kind of celebrity feminism more in terms of saying one thing or signaling one thing that seems on its face political while your actions in private, and also some of your actions like in public, let's be real, do not align with your professed values. So I'm thinking about things like major fashion houses that put feminist slogans on clothing that is not size inclusive, that is walked down runways by models that are like exclusively white, that is made in ways that are not ecologically sound or like, you know, ethically considering the people who are making them. Like, you know, the list goes on and on. And I think that for me, it's like, I'm not going to like come for anyone who's making money off of a shirt with a feminist slogan on it or who is making a lot of money doing conferences telling women how they can advance their careers. That's all well and good. But just be honest about what you were doing and also like make your business practices align with that. Like if you're going to spout that publicly, you should not be stealing from other women. You should be like thinking about ethics and all of the choices you make, which to be honest is hard. You know, we try to consider our values and all of the choices that we make in this small business that is call your girlfriend. But those values do get compromised by money, right? Like it's a dirty, we did a whole episode about this. All the time. We did a whole episode about that, right? And it's a thing that we talk about, like, you know, you, me and Gina, like privately, because it is really hard to say, like, these are our values. And then watch yourself, like, the inclusion of money just, like, changes the conversation all the time. I think that that's a fair thing to acknowledge. It's very, very hard to be, like, women who we want to live and breathe our politics, you know? But at the same time, like, we like we fall short. I see it all the time. Yeah, and I think that where it gets tricky is sort of saying, like, what is the burden of responsibility if your politics are part of your selling point? Like, that's the thing that I keep thinking about. When I was rage interneting and referred to the act of your modern feminist politics signaling not matching up 
to your actions behind the scenes. I was like tongue in cheek, LOL, millennial pink washing, which P.S. Millennial pink, a term coined by Veronique Island and Molly Fisher at the cut, not by yours truly credit again. Um, but like, you know, like that is more like an act of intentional deception. Like, hey, we're a brand who's literally doing nothing and we're going to like slap some empowerment on it versus the very real question of like, hey, it's hard to like make ethical choices and we're doing our best. Like, I do think there is a difference. There is a difference, right? And nobody is like living up to their better self, their highest self. So let's put that all out there. And, you know, there is a part of me, too, that is honestly, whenever I see that like feminism is cool now, I am really taken aback. Ten years ago, I didn't think this would be possible. There is something like really rad about that where I was like, oh, like it is it is cool to like be into women and it's cool to like women and to, right. to further women's causes. You know, there is there is a part of me that's just like, yeah, like let the kids run wild with this. stuff. <laughs> but um, for me, all I want is honesty and transparency. Right. Here is in the ideal world, like what our values are. And let's have a conversation about it. But don't pretend that you're doing the best for, for everybody if that's not true. Because I think that for me, my, my for real sticking point about where the difference is between like feminists and the empowerment people is who are you helping? Mm. You know, and you can always tell. It's like if you're only helping yourself, then I'm like, case closed, bangs gavel, next case. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to do I, I see this so much with like women's conferences where I'm just like wow everybody here is just like as lost as the next person but like some people claim to be experts and there is something about that that is just very it's just like very shady yeah and we've gone in on empowerment like I'm air quoting here like empowerment before I want to re-recommend Andy Zeisler's 2016 article about empowertizing which we'll put in yes. the show notes and her book uh, We Were Feminists Once which frankly I don't agree with like every single thing she has to say in it but is like a very thoughtful examination of a lot of these issues about what happens when capitalism gets like you know superficially cozy with feminism Woof, so cozy. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm talking all this big talk, but you put a cashmere throw on me and I'm like, ooh, like, let's talk. Right. If we get, get a few of Oprah's favorite things into your life and then, That's yeah. right. <laughs> We're all wearing society's costume. Let's be real. Wow. That's so deep. <laughs> Question though, like, I mean, uh, I think I, I can't remember if we've touched on this before. Like, the broader question of trying to like attribute or be someone who is like sharing things that you like or find funny or inspired by on the internet while also being like an ethical consumer, right? Like, this is sort of like being an ethical news consumer, but applied to like culture or applied to digital culture. Friend of the podcast, Doreen St. Felix, in 2015, she essentially wrote about the way that like 
teens, young creators on social media, predominantly black teens or young people of color, are making memes and doing things that are like now reverberating through the culture and not seeing a penny of profits related to it. I mean, obviously, we're a few years later and Vine is gone, et cetera, et cetera. But like the questions of like who gets paid for intellectual property that like really resonates on the internet continue to be really relevant questions to be asking every time you're reposting a thing. It's very sticky, but you know, the thing that's very clear is that just like in anything in capitalism, somebody's getting exploited and somebody is not. <laughs> so which side do you want to be on? And like, what can you do to change it? This is something that a point that she makes in this article from a few years ago. But the thing that I am struck by again and again is how the people who are in charge of budgets, whether it be for doing a kind of like sponsored integration or whether it's like, I want to pay you to make a TV show or write a book or any, any other way of getting paid for making culture. Those people are also statistically very reluctant to fund the types of creators who are actually fueling the internet with like all of these gems. Oh yeah, like we love it when it's free after it's already reverberated through the culture, but we don't want to pay you up front to be brilliant and well-fed like on our dime. It sucks. (laughs) I don't know how else to, to put it. And you see it happen over and over again. It's it's so weird that this article was written in 2015 because I feel like we're seeing it on like steroids even more so now, right? Where like black cool internet culture has it has just really infiltrated everywhere. Like all the brands are doing it. They're using all the shorthand. Like you would think that every social media manager is black at every brand that I follow. And that's not what's going on. Yeah, monocle emoji to that. I'm like, really? Like <laughs> When I think about, like, how can I be a more, you know, like, I'm not, I'm going to be honest, as somebody who, like, posts Instagram stories on steroids, uh, <laughs> I, like, I'm not going to, like, look up where every meme is from. On some platforms, frankly, it's impossible. Like, Twitter does not let you find out whatever. I think that's something just as easy as, like, if you take a screenshot, like, keep the source that you got the screenshot from, you know, like, be a good referrer of traffic to other people. That's something that is so small, it costs you nothing, and it's literally what all of the, like, big Instagram meme accounts, like, don't do that's so frustrating. It's, like, Fat Jewish and, like, whatever all of those ones are called. Why wouldn't you want to be somebody who just, like, you you have now shared with somebody else, like, where you get your cool stuff from? There's nothing, that is so, that's such an easy thing to do. Yeah, and also just, like, the question, too, of when it comes to slang terms or ideas, not like a one-off like joke, but like things that are more in the category of meme or concept or name for something. Like the category that like I would say Shine Theory fits into. A shorthand for a bigger thing that's like maybe been around in a lot of different forms, but like this is a distillation of it. Like that's what a lot of memes are. That's like what the policy and change. That's why we all recognize them. (laughs) Right. And that's what I mean. I think that like acknowledging also that like there is work that goes into making a concept or a meme or something resonate. I think people have the impression that like this stuff is easy or like free for the creators as well. And that is not the case. There's like time and energy and money and trademark fees involved. (laughs) I know, man. Now I'm remembering that woman who did a TED talk on Shine Theory and my blood pressure is rising. Yeah, there's a woman who did a, a TEDx talk, okay, who did a TEDx talk titled Shine Theory, who did not originate this term, obviously. And she did credit us, but it's like, 
I mean, my woman, can you please just come up with your own idea? <laughs> I know. Come up with your own idea. Why do you think that you get to do the TEDx talk on Shine Theory and not us? Like, that is just, it's so wild to me. You know, and I think that a lot of it, too, is, like, tied up in, like, um, you know, because we're, like, cool internet ladies or Are whatever. We? And we're all about <laughs> sharing. You know, I think that a lot of times, like, people think that, like, we're being petty for, like, talking about this stuff. And uh, because I've heard that criticism before, that's just like, oh, don't you guys say that you're all like uh, rah rah women, and then the minute women steal from you, you get angry. (laughs) And I was like, wow, listen to what you just said. We like as women, we're conditioned a lot, you know, like not to complain. Like all of that stuff seems messy. And I'm like, no, actually, if you don't fight for the stuff, like for yourself and for your own work it has larger repercussions. It's it's not okay, and you're not being unreasonable for wanting to be credited with your work. It's like, if anything, women more than, like, anybody want to be credited for their work. It's... Right. <laughs> that's, I'm like, that's, like, why we have feminism. So, are we, you know... Are we allowed to talk about why we originally got the Shine Theory trademark? Like, do we sign something that said we couldn't talk about that? I don't think so, no. Okay, because I feel like this is a relevant story, which is the article had come out in 2013 about Shine Theory, but it some months had passed. And because, I don't know, we had not learned this lesson yet, we did not try to trademark it or buy the URL or do the things that, like, we usually do. Yeah, the, like, the dog peeing on the tree, this is my tree thing. We did not pee on Shine Theory. (laughs) Yeah, you did not. We did not do that with our internet work. And in fact, the only reason that we found out that this was happening is because we were like, oh, let's go buy our own website. Like, Right, back up what was happening. (laughs) We were, I believe, having drinks and french fries or something. (laughs) We were definitely on like our fourth glass of rosé and like second basket of french fries. <laughs> I know. And I don't know why we said like, let's buy this website. And I got on my phone. Lo and behold, shinetheory.com was some sort of like gross workout fitness movement. You clicked through and it was just like pages of very muscular abs it was almost like a fever dream where I was like, how is this happening simultaneously? Like, did this other fitness person come up with the idea of Shine Theory simultaneously, but like differently? Oh, it had all of the language from your New York Magazine article. Yeah. That's how we knew. Right. It said, I don't shine if you don't shine, all of that stuff. But then it, it was said, just like, like brought abs. to you by New York Magazine's like thing. Oh my God. Yeah. It looked like it was endorsed by us. <gasps> yes. Right. It looked like it was endorsed by us. And this was actually like a really, this was like a very good lesson for us. It was like one, you got to own the thing outright. And two, like, if you don't, people will use it in ways that will infuriate you. Right. Like, shine theory does not mean flat abs for every woman. <laughs> yeah. And then us and this lady had to, like, you know, we had to go to internet court to, <laughs> like, figure it out. It was not cool. Yeah. I mean, and so that is how we ended up owning the trademark after, like, lots of dollars and effort and lawyering and, like, seriously, like, there's so much time and money. Like, like the internet, the email receipts of, like, all of the time and money we spent to, like, prevent this from becoming a thing used to sell, like, fitness. It was a lot. Like, I've blocked it out. I really have blocked it out. It's everything that we hate to do. Um, you know, logistics, legal mumbo jumbo, and then uh, and then it paying was money, <laughs> paying money, yeah. you know, paying money that's not going to Gucci loafers. It was a fight. <laughs> it was like a real fight, and it felt really gross. 
It felt very, very gross. But anyway, all is good in the realm now. The difference between someone is trying to sell fitness stuff or trying to sell cosmetics versus someone just use the term without crediting us is vast. Like vast, 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 right? Exactly. Yeah. Every time I like pick up a Teen Vogue, there is some new like starlet who's dining out on Shine Theory. You know, it's like, <laughs> wow, I, eyeball emoji. <laughs> True, like Rowan Blanchard, Amandala Sternberg, Steinberg. Sorry if I'm saying their name wrong. It doesn't annoy me or anything, but I'm also, you know, but then there's also like my editor brain goes like, wow, it would cost you nothing to be like, here is where I learned this thing. Mm. And that's probably a muscle that we all need to exercise more, especially when we're talking about liberation work and freedom and feminism and all those things because I find myself doing it all the time you know I'm trying to explain like some sort of woke thing and then I realize I'm like oh the reason I know this is because I've read Audre Lorde or the reason I know this is because I'm reading XYZ and it's so much easier if you go here is the foundational work that makes possible for this concept to just be disseminated out in the wild, right? Like right now, a lot of people are talking about consent in sex and Hollywood and all this stuff. And I was like, well, the reason that I know that is because of all of the work that Jacqueline Friedman did, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like just making that like so accessible. It's like you can say like, yes, consent matters. And everybody knows what that means. When Jacqueline Friedman was like editing her books and writing her books, like that was not a, that was not a thing that was in the cultural consciousness. Yeah, and the idea, too, that, like, then you can help establish a breadcrumb trail, right? Because, like, I know from reading Jacqueline's work that she also cites the other thinkers that informed her thinking about consent. Like, she's not like, hello, it's me, the first person to use the word consent. And so then you can create a way, if you cite Jacqueline, then someone can go to Jacqueline's book and be like, oh, like, what are the, what are the sources that she's citing? Because, like, all of this is definitely related. And I think that it's not ever a really clean story of, like, just here is one person. I mean, like, Shine Theory, like, as a as a two-word term, yes, like, that is you and me. But, like, the concepts that go into that and, like, the ways that we talk about it are informed by a lot of other thinkers. Exactly. And we're not the first women in the world who are like, oh, maybe you should embrace other women in your life. Like, we certainly did not invent that. So, you know, I think that there's also an acknowledgement there. It's like, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, And... Like, we would all be better for just, like, citing our sources and saying where we learn things from. And also, like, that's kind of a way that you make your idea go further, is if you're like, actually, here are all the other, like, smart people that are thinking about it. Right. Context. Woo. Context collapse. It's real. Um, Okay. What else? I feel like this whole uh, podcast today is going to be about capitalism. Oh, always. The dirtiest game. Ping capitalism. Do you want to take a listener question to this effect? Yes. Here's a question that we've gotten from a longtime listener, first-time emailer. A question, and this may be more geared towards Amina, given her location. Would it put me on the spot? Longtime <laughs> listener, first-time emailer. What do you think about women's social clubs? Not to ruffle feathers or women webs. <laughs> women webs is amazing. Or the Illuminati. But I'm thinking of the wing in particular. 
I was accepted into their Soho location before it opened last year. I'm relatively new to New York and I miss my old city friend something fierce. So I considered joining. I wouldn't use a space in any workspace capacity. I wouldn't need the facilities. My office has a gym, showers, etc. I could justify the cost of networking and friend making. Then I gave it a second thought. Yes, I could swing the cost to essentially buy social access. But how many other like-minded women would like to be members but couldn't because cost is a barrier to entry? When the wing began, it primarily marketed itself as a women's shared co-space. The $250 slash $300 a month justified as rent. It has now morphed itself into a $250 a month woke social club. Thoughts. <laughs> um, I actually have a lot of thoughts about this. So full disclosure, some of my best friends work at the wing. <laughs> and I know the women who started the wing. So let's explain what the wing is. The wing is just what this writer said. It is a women's social space in New York City that has now expanded to D.C. And I believe they're expanding to other places in the country. I, um, I do not belong to the wing, but I belong to other co-working spaces not even co-working spaces like legit social places social spaces and I always find the ones that I'm at very interesting because they're very male and they're very white what I have seen at the wing is that all of the cool black women I know work either at the wing like for the wing itself or like actually belong there so like one I'm like you already get diversity points for me because I don't see this anywhere else I think it's also interesting, too, that so many people have come to this question of, like, should you sell access to a women's club? It's like the women who own the club, like, get this. But I never hear anybody talk about, like, Soho House This Way or Noe House or all of the other, like, weird houses where they're like, should all of these rich, beautiful white people commune together exclusively all the time? Like, I never hear that conversation. Um, I can't, like, because I don't work there, I can't talk about the working conditions. But I do know that they, like, definitely have made it, like, very accessible for women who couldn't afford it, which is probably why it is so diverse and it is so cool. And I understand why people feel very strongly that, you know, it's a feminist space, but it costs money to go. And the truth is that, like, yeah, you're not going to work out of a, like, beautiful Instagrammable space for free. Like, that's just not going to happen. Well, I would say that I would describe the conditions as at high risk for millennial pinkwashing. Like, I think that is one reason why people are, like, on high alert. I think that's fair. I think yeah. that that's like, I think that's very fair. But I think that like people should also examine like why they're demanding like such a high standard from this place. And do they demand the same high standard from other places that they belong to, right? Like it sounds like a lot of money. And I think it just depends on the person. That's fair. But also like here is a business that is run by two women who have like raised a lot of capital, something that like almost never happens for women businesses. That's actually profitable and that is scaling. So I think that you need to look at the membership and say like, what am I getting from this membership? If the membership is different from, I don't know, like the other like social clubs or social activities that you belong to, then probably you're getting a benefit from it, right? Um, and, you know, if the wing also is like the only place where you meet like cool, woke women, like that's something that you should think about. It's like, why is it this way? And is this the only place that you can get that? So, to, you know, to this listener, I'm like, I'm not going to tell you where to work out of. I think that it's right to ha to examine this space this way. But you should also ask yourself if you're this rigorous about everything else you spend money on. Right. I mean, I've seen this conversation collapsed 
into a, like, is it good or bad discussion about the wing when, like, really I'm much more interested in the fact that there are a variety of different types of women-oriented, membership-based spaces in lots of different cities. And I think it's it's actually much more interesting to say, like, okay, like, rather than say, is the way the wing is doing it and constructing its business good or bad for womanity, like, actually consider the fact that people, women, are showing us a lot of different ways to enact the idea of a women-oriented space. So, like, here in Los Angeles, we have the Women's Center for Creative Work. I am a member in that uh, it costs $10 a month. There's community-oriented programming. It is less about being a business, and but it is also a workspace, and it is also a community space. And it's just like showing you that the wing is one way of enacting a type of space like this with certain types of perks and price points. But actually, like, there are a lot of different ways to do this idea and a different different aims for this idea. Like, if you look at the kind of about us or like founding purpose statements for all of these places, there is a difference. Like there's, there's sort of a for-profit, this is clearly a business. We are appealing to a type of woman who maybe has these values, but yeah, at the end of the day, you're getting like a concrete benefits, like nice products in the bathroom and a place to work that like looks cute on, on the internet. That's like good for taking meetings or whatever versus other places that are much more explicitly about enacting feminism like through community. And I think that like that's that's also an important thing. And I think to this, you know, I mean, this question, I know the question is like, what do you think of the wing? But I feel like the more operative question is like, hey, like what's happening with structured women's membership organizations? Like this person who wrote in says they don't need the workspace. So it's like, okay, like you're actually talking about a different type of thing. No wonder you don't want the wing because you don't want the professional perks. Like you just want the kind of programming and like, Um, the feminist community aspect, in which case there are other options. Like, you know, this type of programming is at New Women's Space, which is where we're having our New York blood drive, which is more framed as a community-led event space. Their actual, let me see, their actual blurb is, our mission is to build strong relationships, create economic opportunity, and inspire possibility for self-identified women, femme, queer, transgender, and gender non-conforming individuals. Like, you know, that's a very different mission than this is like, a really cool workspace oriented to women. And so I think like read the fine print about what your goals are and then, or what the place's goals are and think about your own goals and then find a better match. And, you know, to be fair, this is like big city priv, right? Like the fact that like we're talking about multiple options for finding this kind of structured community and space. But I always get really mad when this conversation is only about the wing because not only does it ignore other types of like more explicit movement oriented spaces that exist in the cities where the wing is and is looking to expand, it clearly is not about the stated mission of even like the for-profit ones like the wing. Or there's one in um, there's one in San Francisco called the Assembly Now. And there's one, I don't know, I think there's one in Portland. There's just, right. yeah, yeah they proliferated. And there's also something about, so the wing specifically has, uh, they have an in-house historian, Alexis Coe, that I've mentioned multiple times. And she talks a lot about the work of... Um, like this exact kind of thing, like women only like spaces and how like they were a feminist and like historical necessity. So I think that like thinking about like why a space like this can exist in all the different iterations that it can exist in and which one fits your needs best is probably like the way to frame the conversation as opposed to just like picking one out of the sky that is seems like they're the poster child of capitalism and tearing it apart. 
there are real reasons for why all of these different spaces exist and the ways that they've evolved and the communication and the messaging that they use to talk about themselves. Yeah, and I think it's also fair to it's it's fair to ask questions based on like their stated mission too. I mean, like I'm reading now, the Wings mission is to create space for women to advance their pursuits and build community together. And so it's a fair question to ask to the point about access and income, what kind of community is this going to be and how are you doing that? To which the answer might be reduced admission fees or like explicitly um you know, making women of color feel welcome here. Or, you know, like there are ways to answer that question. And if they don't have answers to them, by all means, write them off. But like, I think that that's what it is. It's like, what is the mission and how are they actually enacting it is the standard. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think that like to go back to the larger point of even, you know, like to tie this all back in with a bow with how we started the show talking about our uh, beef with Create and Cultivate is that it's really easy to come from a place where all you want to do is like be angry and be reactionary because, in the immediate, you can't find the answers to the questions that you have. But really taking a beat and asking the question, giving people the benefit of the doubt until you know otherwise, is probably like the one way we're, that we're not all going to like drive each other up the wall on the internet. It's right. like, ask first. If the answer is not satisfactory, then by all means, take actions. But your instinct should not be to rage. And I think that uh, it's so easy to like rage on women online. Right. And yeah, so totally fair to ask these questions about the wing or anywhere, but it's also fair to ask yourself why you're only asking them about the wing instead of looking at like further options slash like, you know, other ways to build community too, because like a physical space is, is definitely not the only way to do that, especially in places where physical space is expensive and scarce, you know, which is another part of this puzzle too. It's like, like we're always saying, it's like capitalism so dirty. <laughs> capitalism <laughs> is so dirty. Wow, glad we solved it. I love how I, I love how like that is my temptation after every hard like conversation where I feel uh, uncomfortable about the fact that like it's all just a big hot mess and muddle to be like, well, <laughs> we did that. That's how I feel. I'm like, I just like talked a big game and now I'm going to go organize all my beauty products. Yeah. Capitalism. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. like staring at like yeah, my coffee table is strewn with capitalist uh face serums right so you know it's a process we're all doing our best i love the idea of an anti-capitalist face serum and like what would that even be i can't even <laughs> tell it that's like, like repurposing the yogurt in your house for uh for a face mask which oh, let me you're tell so you, right I, that is anti-capitalist serum <laughs> i know but listen every time i've tried to make um like homemade face things i always end up eating them one of them was like it was like avocado and honey and you had to like mash it all and then I was like wait this is delicious basically a smoothie <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes and then I put it on and I was like yeah this is not gonna work for me the only way that I'm not gonna eat creams is if like I can't lick the thing or the label Natural. is like in Japanese and you don't know if it's toxic <laughs> I know you can't ask me to like mash an avocado and a banana and not eat it like that's wild all right, I'm going to let you go eat your face masks and 
and live to fight another day. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm going to send you so many pictures. I found a really good uh, tea tree mask that I'm really into. Oh my God. Do it. Um, also, okay. before we go, yet another reminder that our blood drives are all in full swing. Many of them are starting to fill up, but that doesn't mean you can't walk in on the date. We definitely welcome like several walk-ins at all these locations. And you can sign up to donate another time. There's info on all of the different cities pages on our site. Plus, if you're not in one of the cities where we're doing a blood drive, there's more info about that too at callyourgirlfriend.com slash blood drive. The San Francisco drive was a resounding success. We helped save the lives of 149 people. Um, everybody who is giving blood and uh, tagging us on Instagram, Twitter, I want you to know that I cry every single time. So thank you. It means the world to me. Yeah. Um, love you so much. I will see you on the internet. <laughs> see you on the internet, boo-boo. Bye. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you left us a review. You can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at callyrgf. You can subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Bleed, on the Call Your Girlfriend website. Uh, you can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. And this podcast is produced by Gina Delbeck. Also, a quick note that we could not have survived that initial trademark drama without the quick and capable help of our lawyer, Quinn Harity at Harity Law, who is always in our corner, and uh, especially when it comes to us trying to get our heads around this from a legal perspective, which is not always easy, she is like, ugh, chef's kiss, A number one. <laughs>